Good evening, everyone. Last week, we talked about some early attempts at treating mental illness. And while we were off to a crazy-sounding but effective start with fever therapy for syphilis-caused mental illness, the technique did not transfer to other mental illness. From there, we went on to forcing patients into comas, which also didn't really help, but this week we continue the trend of dangerous and unnecessary treatments that do not work. We'll get to stuff that actually helps eventually, though, I, I promise. But for now, we begin in 1933, when one Portuguese doctor named Antonio Igas Moniz decided to experiment with brain surgery to treat mental illness. As a neurologist, he knew that strokes, tumors, or brain damage in any way, really, could impact behaviors or emotions. So he figured that if he could damage parts of the brain to cause changes in behavior, perhaps he could also do so in a way that might fix problems instead of causing them. The problem was... Which parts? In 1935, Moniz attended a talk about how patients that had injuries to the front of their brain lost some of their emotional capacity, but seemed to retain the rest of their mental faculties. He figured that this was exactly what he was looking for, to calm some of the more extreme emotions associated with some mental illness, but to retain the rest of the mental faculties. Now, Moniz was no neurosurgeon, so he recruited a young neurosurgeon named Pedro Lima and planned to purposefully damage the front of the brain of patients with severe mental illness. First, they would put the patient to sleep with anesthesia and then drill two holes in the skull right above each eye. Then a loop of wire was inserted through the hole into the brain and then rotated to carve out a circular chunk of said brain. Since they weren't exactly sure which part of the frontal lobe to target, and apparently they weren't too worried about it either, they carved out 12 spheres of brain tissue from each patient. At least to start. If the results were subjectively unsatisfactory, then they would repeat the procedure, removing yet more brain tissue, which I find a very concerning approach to experimental surgery. In 1936, Moniz and Lima published the results of their first 20 leucotomies, which is what they called the procedure. They claimed that seven of these patients improved significantly, another seven improved somewhat, and that the remaining six saw no improvement, but also no harm. They claimed this, but didn't really have objective ways to measure these improvements, and it seems pretty unlikely that taking out chunks of folks' brains would have no downsides. I'm not alone in that feeling either, even at the time. The top psychiatrist of Portugal denounced the procedure upon learning about it, arguing that the patients showed a degradation of personality and that the patients were just experiencing shock, similar to a soldier experiencing a serious head injury. Moniz was undeterred, though, and proposed the explanation that mental illness resulted from, quote, functional fixations in the brain, where the brain could not stop performing the same activity repeatedly, and he claimed that his new procedure worked by removing those, somehow. That top psychiatrist we mentioned earlier called this, quote, pure cerebral mythology, which I'm inclined to agree with. Unfortunately, lots of the world did not agree with that type psychiatrist, and although they screwed up in doing so, you have to keep in mind that times were very different. While leucotomies were controversial the entire time they were in use, as is probably pretty clear from last week, psychiatrists were pretty desperate for something, anything, that actually helped with mental illness. Like coma therapy, leucotomies, or lobotomies as they came to be known here in the United States, did reduce severe mental symptoms in patients, just at the cost of their brain function in other ways. 
For asylum alienists of their times, one of the most serious issues was how to handle rowdy or even violent patients, and lobotomies provided a relatively simple, permanent way to get such patients to become relatively calm and obedient. Although these patients were not truly cured and able to return to society, asylum psychiatrists did have a much better time managing their severely ill patients. And proponents of the technique argued that the surgery was more humane than the alternative of the time, which was constant physical restraints or padded cells. I think that's at least reasonable and understandable, and there was no good choices for psychiatrists of the time, so I can't quite blame them too hard with all of my hindsight. However, the really severe error came a little later, when psychiatrists began applying Moniz's lobotomies to less severe patients. American neurologist Walter Freeman really kicked this off by inventing the transorbital lobotomy. He believed that the original lobotomy was great and should be used on a broader scope of patients, but it needed to be easier and more accessible. The original lobotomy required, you know, a real surgeon and anesthesia, which is apparently just too much trouble. Freeman instead opted for a simpler procedure that just required an ice pick-like tool, which is why these surgeries came to be known as ice pick lobotomies. If you're a little squeamish, just skip ahead like 10 seconds here. But the way Freeman's new lobotomy worked was that the ice pick would be inserted into the eye socket above the eye and used to pierce the bone back there and then directly scrape out pieces of the brain. Like Moniz's procedure, it removed pieces of the front of the brain, but did not really require as many resources to perform, and Freeman took full advantage. In the next three decades, he would perform about 2,500 of these lobotomies alone. These lobotomies were applied widely and likely unnecessarily, and were hailed as such an important innovation that Moniz actually won a Nobel Prize for his work in 1949, 15 years after his original tests. Clearly, psychiatry was really in need of treatments, if giving your patients malaria and lobotomies were considered Nobel Prize worthy. Luckily, lobotomies have been abandoned as better treatments began to appear. The Soviet Union was the first to ban them as inhumane, but other countries eventually followed, and by the 70s and 80s, most places no longer practiced lobotomies at all. They had some justifiable use back in the day for extremely ill patients when no better alternatives were available, but their wide application likely caused much more harm than good, and I'm glad that we've done away with the practice. But for next week, we're going to talk about one last treatment that also originated early on and was quite controversial, but actually persists into the modern era, unlike malaria, comas, or lobotomies. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, or just let me know with the links in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks also go out to Jojo Tang, my editor, Angie Lee, my cover art artist, and Muse Open for this music.